Hello, everybody. I am Tyler. You know me as Gregory in our Pokemon D&D campaign, but welcome to our first episode of DM Direction and our other host here. Hey guys, it's me. You guys know me as Ryan, the DM from our normal Pokemon D&D campaign, and we've even done some, or at least plan to do some more one-shots in the future too for the channel, so I'll be doing some DMing for that also. So, yeah. Um, so what the DM Directions is, is it's going to be a talk show where we give advice to help enhance your guys' D&D gameplay. And sometimes in episodes we'll discuss topics that we find interesting about D&D as a whole, and just other times we might just focus in on something super specific, whether if it's regular D&D, Pokemon D&D, etc. So the plan for this episode, at least being our first one, um, is going to be talking about general homebrew improvements for your D&D as a whole. And so we'll be going into details of just general improvements for your regular D&D games, whether if it be Pokemon or regular D&D. And then we'll also go into details of discussing specifically on how to improve your Pokey D&D experience when you guys are playing, whether if it's you guys are players in a play group and you can suggest these ideas to your DM, or if, heck, if you're even a DM and you're planning to start your new game and you're like, where can I find good advice on ways to make it better? Then you've come to the right place. But first we need to know what homebrew is. And when we say homebrew, we're normal typical D&D where it's content that players and DMs make up to fit their world and it's not content that you find in the player handbook or supportive books that Wizards of the Coast releases and when we talk about it in terms of our Pokemon camp it's the different Pokemon variants different races even the Ormia region as a whole is uh ryan's our dm's homebrew creation so that that's important to keep in mind as we move forward yeah so going into your topic one of just homebrew improvements for your D D games as a whole a good one that we do that we've done at least in campaigns and even if it's one shots and even when i'm not recording anything and i'm just playing i have another group that i do a separate campaign with and these guys love some of these improvements that we've done, and I've been doing this for now a good few years, so I've got some experience on how to make some of these improvements through some testing bend pretty well. First thing being, I like the idea of being able to give full health for healing items, such as in normal D&D, there's just the potion of healing, right? And that is just a 2d4 plus 2. So instead of having players roll and potentially waste a turn healing only for health from an item that they just got as like maybe a reward from clearing a dungeon or somebody gave it to them to protect them when they're going out in the fray. I choose to give them the full amount of health. I choose to give them for that healing item, you heal your 10 points of health, which is your 2d4 plus two. And by doing that, it makes you feel, okay, if I'm taking time to do this, I at least want this time to be impactful. And yes, D&D, I understand, is supposed to be random with dice and stuff, and that's what makes it kind of fun. But if... You want to take the chance of having your players potentially get mad for getting an item that's supposed to help them, then that doesn't seem the most useful of their time, and they might not want to risk it in the future when they're like, I could just have somebody use a healing spell on me instead of healing 2d4 plus 2, but when times are dire, right, yeah, 
So, you know, when it comes down to it, same thing for Pokemon, right? Because in the Pokemon D&D 5D handbook as of right now, the item, just the regular potion, also heals the good old 2D4 plus 2. And while that's nice, like I said, even in the games and the video games, regular potion only heals a flat 20. So by having players heal at least that flat 10 of a regular potion, they're at least thinking, okay, I didn't waste my turn of healing 4 health on this Pokemon to then have it take like 6, potential 6 or even 10 later on. I want him to use this healing item to make sure it's getting its full effect. God forbid it gets a crit, you know? Yeah, and Your then... It's just wiped and down a potion. Yeah, for real. And then it's like, okay, I just wasted my turn to do this when I could have maybe used my turn to use Withdrawal or some other move to give me a boost in AC when I thought, oh, if I'm just healing them, I have a shot of healing out of taking range. You know, it's like in the games. If you notice, okay, two hits are going to knock out my Pokemon. If I use a potion, heal him up to full, he can hit me and then I can use a move to respond back and then I'm in trouble again. So I have that time to set strategy. up. You know, it by, by knowing I heal 20. Where in this, it's like, okay, I just killed four. It's like, well, that's... Yeah. Or one. I mean, there really is, you know... Like, quick attack in Pokemon D&D is a bonus action. That's a D4. So, like, the enemy's bonus action could be equivalent to you wasting your full action of healing your mon if you get unlucky on those two D4s. And it can ha- Like, it, it could happen, you know? So, that's, like, my opinion as a DM on, like, what I like to enforce. The whole thing of healing items will restore their full amounts instead of rolling because that way players feel okay i'm taking my time to use this it i want to feel i'm putting my effort my time into doing something to benefit me or the team further at least that's my opinion as dm ty as a player what do you what do you think on that notion of that rule i i think it's a great rule um especially in in terms of normal D D when we're talking about it it makes it makes it so that our party doesn't feel like we have to have a healer, which, you know, if we have all barbarians or all fighters, you know, chances are we're going to be relying on those potions a lot. And if I'm spending my gold or in Pokemon, if I'm spending my currency on them, I think it, it makes the benefit of that worth it. And I'm more likely to do it because it's worth it, you know? Yeah, and to look at the numbers, right? A Pokeball is 250 in the game, in this Pokemon D&D, and a potion is 200. So, like, you're kind of saying, okay, instead of me paying an extra 50 to potentially catch another Mon for my team, I'm going to buy this potion to hopefully roll lucky on those 2D4s if you don't enforce the full healing thing. Yeah, and in a fight, I mean, even if you're matched equal to another Pokemon, again, crits. You you could run into a situation where you need just 10 more HP and boom, you're good. Now, to raise the counter-argument of that, if it's like, okay, now there are some items in the Pokemon game in Pokemon D&D 5e, like 150 Pokey, like the 150 of the Pokey currency, right, is mm-hmm. a candy bar, which heals 5 HP. Or the 200 equivalent of a potion is a fresh water, which restores 7 HP. So if you're running on the notion of, well, why would, if my players are healing a 2d4 plus 2 HP, which is 10 for 200, why would they ever spend 200 to only heal 7 on fresh water? And while that's a good point, you could do something else with the fresh water, whether if it's like 
they need to catch it as like a delivery for another mission and things like that. So don't feel like by doing that, you're canceling out other items. And ultimately, if you are the DM listening for ideas, you can make the freshwater heal more. Or if anything, the freshwater, like in the games, is given to them when they go to the gyms, right? If you talk to that guy out front, he gives them the freshwater. That's like giving them a, yes, it's a weaker potion, but that's still a free item that they got that could still heal seven, which if you're rolling the 2d4 plus two, getting seven on that could, chances, I don't know if it's half or less, but yeah. getting seven's not that good when the minimum's four and the max is ten. You know, like or make yeah, make like the fresh water and the lemonades for the humans, not for the Pokemon. Ah, uh, that's that tie. That's an awesome idea too, right? Like if you make an you item where vending it's machines, vending right? machines for the players to heal with. Because so right. far, there's nothing really in this module or book, and that's something we can maybe get into a future episode of at least for Pokemon D and D specifically. There's yeah. while the trainers have health, there's no way in this to use an item to heal a trainer that's in the book. And that's what we're saying. Short rest. Yeah, and that's what we're saying. Like the candy bar can be for the trainers. Fresh water or soda or lemonade could be for the trainers. You know, and that's a way to heal them as trainers. Because as players will see in a future episode, some players get hurt. Like it can happen. You're out with wild animals. You know. Yeah. Speaking of being out with wild animals, you know what happens in those random situations if you get attacked if something gets a crit on you you know uh how do we handle those crits and um in our uh rule set homebrew we do crits with full dice rolls so what i mean by that is when say i'm say me as a player and i'm going to attack an enemy five feet away with a melee attack if I get a crit roll, a nat 20 on it, then let's say I'm using a dagger, 1d4. I will deal 4 plus whatever I roll on that 1d4 plus my modifier. And as a player, I know that I, it's a love-hate relationship because it works with enemies too. Right, DM? Yeah, and that's the same thing too if people are like, well, you're giving your players, you know... If they can use healing items and stuff, the same thing is for trainers, right? There's some gyms that, like, later on in the game where the trainer, the gym leaders use items. It would be the same equivalent because in the game it's the same thing, right? If they use a super hyper potion, it's going to heal them that set amount. So gym leaders or even other trainers on their pathway in the Pokemon D&D 5e can use the healing items fully. Or if it's a bad monster or, like, a if it's some sort of human NPC or something that could drink a potion of healing in normal D&D, you know, like... That's where they can yeah. get any benefit I give my players. The same thing is reflected to the enemies. So it's still fair, you know? Yeah. Which, it again, that comes back to the randomness of the dice. So even though, even though it is making it more beneficial, the risks are also higher. There. Yeah. And, yeah. like, to illustrate again, right? So, like, let's say it's if it's, like, a 2d4 plus 2 weapon, and the plus 2 weapons are mod, right? To illustrate for people. You use the full dice amount, like you said. So it would be, let's say you roll a nat 20. You would do 2d4 plus, instead of plus 2, you do plus 10. Because you have the 2d4, add the top numbers 4, plus the 2, you get a modifier of 10. And then that way, too, it lets my players know, okay, this crit 
actually deals a lot of damage. Like, I found their weak spot. Because you could crit yeah. and roll those two ones on that D4 for an extra, and you're like, well, I just dealt, what, two extra damage on my crit? And when you're fighting stuff that has a lot of health, two damage is not going to mean that much in the long run. Where instead of by adding that full dice amount, even if an enemy rolls that, you as a player is now scared. You're like, oh, you know, you're like, oh crap! Like I'm gonna get hit for a lot of damage coming up here from the enemy because they found my weak spot. Absolutely, and I I feel like HP in five E is kind of a fickle thing because you know when when you hit an enemy, even if it's an attack that in in say a novel that you're reading, you know, you stab something in the head. Chances are it'll die but with hp that's not always the case it could take multiple stabs before death but if you get that crit then it's you have the potential to one hit kill something with the right hp amount which is so satisfying as a player yeah and like even to go with like the full damage amount right because if you're like if your DM decides to roll outside the screen, and I know some DMs don't use a screen, and for when I do with my players, nine times out of ten, I roll the dice on roll 20 so they can see. So if they're like, well, that last attack just hit me for 1d10 plus whatever the mod was. Now that's 10 extra damage in addition to that mod that's being added to when they hit me. And if I look at your Pokemon, you're like, my Pokemon's only got like a max of 20 health. If that 1d10 rolls high plus that extra 10, my mod's in trouble. You know, I think, if I even remember correctly, I think that happened episode one. I think somebody got bodied, like, right out of the gate. But I could be wrong. I'm trying to remember. No, but I think so. In the fight with the Was it with the Pichu? I think it was Amma's Pichu. But it was, this was a while ago. But Yeah. Could but be wrong. Yes, there's certainly situations that come up um, where it, it's good and bad. And I like it. It's good. Um... Uh, with crits, we also have implemented the rule of fumble charts. And what those are is, say you roll a nat 1, the other side of the coin. And you would look at the fumble chart and roll a separate die. And whatever you get is that fumble, the negative effect that happens opposite to getting a positive crit um so what are what are some of those examples yeah so for example right now i'll roll I'll, how about this i'll roll one and i'll let you roll one right so i just roll a d100 and i got a 46 okay so if i go to my fumble chart for 46 um it's the bill the effect of on the fumble chart is embargo you can't use items for the rest of the encounter on this pokemon so it's like the move right so now, like, the Pokemon is just, like, too scared for you to use items on them. And that's, like, its penalty, which could be huge. You know, you can't use potions, you can't use X attacks, etc. Like, you can't use anything on the Pokemon for the rest of this encounter. And that's pretty impactful. Same for the enemies. Like, if they're holding an item, or if it's a trainer that has an item that they could use on the mom, whether it's, like, a Citrus Berry or Berry, they no longer can't use that. This Pokemon will refuse it. Like, it's like, I, I can't eat right now, I'm in the middle of a battle. You know, like, stuff's going on, I'm just so anxious, I can't eat. Yeah, that that potion that we just talked about that heals so much. Yeah, can't you can't use that now, and it's like, well, 
unless I'm like a grass type or those rare other moves that can heal me that's outside of that, you know, it's like I'm in trouble. Yeah, what a punishment that is. Right? Like like what what did you roll for your D100? My D100 came out to be I hit clear. Uh-huh. <laughs> 93. 93. Okay. That one is a called self-inflicted wound. Your attack ricochets back and you hit yourself. Roll your damage as if you had hit your target and apply it to yourself. So that's that, that's huge, right? That could be messy. Yeah. That could be messy. So rather if now if it's a stab move, obviously you sometimes are resistant to your own attacks but if it's like using like a dragon move or a ghost move that's gonna critical yeah, that's gonna hurt you more right like that's impactful ghost ghost. Yeah. like yeah. that's strong like that that can make a game difference like you're not even fighting a ghost enemy but now you just took the equivalent of ghost damage or dragon damage like that's yeah. turn and the then, tables real quick and that does that and then the enemy now gets a turn on you Mm-hmm. So that's two attacks on you before you get another turn. Not even considering if there's any other enemies in this fight. Yeah. Or, you know, your your Pokemon is low on... Or you, you as a character are low on HP. You're against that BBEG and boom, they end up hitting themselves. You know? That, that could... That could turn the tables too, right? Like, if it tries to use, like, a move like Ice Shard and the shards ricochet back and stab itself back in the eye or something. Like, that's, you know... That's yeah. huge because you're you're now like okay team, it it almost is like I don't want to say morale boost, but it makes the other side feel okay. I now have a shot at this. For sure. Where if things looked bleak for the heroes, right, and then all of a sudden the enemy crit fails and they stab themselves in the eye with an attack, and they're like, oh quick, they wasted. And, and it's, it's important too, right? Because not only did you take damage, you used your turn to hurt yourself or other teammates if it ricochets back and it's an AOE effect. Right. It's it's a move with only three PP. That's one of your three PP. Yeah, like iron, like oh. um, head smash, or like there's some moves that are like, if it's like an AOE effect, that you can target yeah. on an enemy that now hits you or your other teammates. Yep. What was that ice dagger, right? Ice like, I, like ice knife in D and D five. Yeah, D and D five. You right? with ice knife where it's yep. like, now you're hitting. Instead of hitting just the enemies, the ice shards ricochet back and hit you and your teammates that are around you in that range. You know, like exactly. that's now it's like I not only hurt myself, I hurt my teammates, and they took damage without even the enemies going yet, and I wasted my turn. Obviously, yeah. that's towards the top end of this list, but really, a lot of things on this list are not that good. You know, now granted, this list is modified more so for the pokemon aspect but this could be for anything as far as dd as a whole you know homebrew again you can add subtract any of these anything you want yeah and and i feel like by giving players and enemies the full amount for their dice roll on crits having a strict fumble chart is the other end you know exactly like those are bad stuff like while you got a nat 20 to do an awesome turn you now could roll a one and face consequences of even just killing your character. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of them on this on this fumble list, um, even could just screw up your whole game plan. Like one of them, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. Um, yeah, it's called uh, "It Scared Me." On your turn, your Pokemon begs to be switched out with another team member if applicable. Oh gosh. 
So like you're now like, well, I just sent out my guy because I know my other guys are weak to this thing. And now the guy I just sent out is begging with me to switch back out and won't do his turn until he's switched out. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's pretty big. Not only does yeah. it screw up your game plan, but it could screw up the other teammates' plans if they're relying on you to set up or do something else to help them. Now it's like, well, I guess that's not happening. Yeah. I think it also gives a lot of opportunities for role-play moments, too. Yes, because, for sure. You know, if there's moments where, like, just in that example, your Pokemon seems scared of that enemy, well, maybe there's a reason why. Maybe... It had a bad past with them, right? Past with a Pokemon. Yeah. Getting attacked by Spearows kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it opens a lot of doors. And opens, yeah, and opens those doors for players to be able to then say, like, later on, like, just speaking with their group, but, like, maybe there's a secret that they kept hidden. And this is, like, a moment where it's, like, even if the player's thinking on their feet, now it's something that could be, like, a thing that's carried through the rest of the campaign because they rolled that one nat one on in combat, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I don't I don't think anything here is super crazy on the list, meaning they're not, like, super detrimental. I think one of, like, the worst, there's, like, two that are kind of the worst... One of them is, like, exhausted. Your move runs out of PP. Right? Yeah. So, like, that if that's annoying. your only damaging move... True. Then that Pokemon's in trouble. It's like, well... And then it's like, well, did you bring a berry that could heal up its PP? If it's, like, uh, I think a Lepa berry and things like that, you know? Yeah. Chances are no. Unless you, you know, mm. have been looking for it. <laughs> or if it's, like, the Pokemon forgets how to use the move that causes Fumble until a long rest. Like, that's even worse than running out of PP. Because if you sleep at night and heal but it's a short rest or whatever and you don't restore pp like you know if you don't have it till a long rest at least if you use a berry you can regain its pp this one it's it's yeah. stuck until a long rest right so it's like well that's my only damaging move this guy's kind of yeah. could be a whole session or two at least yeah yeah, yeah right if, if and sometimes like if you guys don't take a long rest because you're doing stuff during the day it's like well now i can't use my only one guy that could counter this mm -hmm. so yeah and you know you could even potentially roll multiple nat ones on the same mon and that yeah and then they'll stack right and that's where right. it's it's just it's crazy because even if there's some here like not to spoil too much on the list because obviously there's a lot on this list but one of them is roll twice on this chart and apply both effects to yourself like that's wow. an effect you could get and it's called horrible aftermath like, now it's like, I not only messed this up, but I could do something that could hurt other people, or take twice the punishment, whether it's enemies hitting me, if it's me having a now a status ailment on me that makes sense with what's going on. Like, you know, there's some impactful stuff here. So, and that's to help compensate, like we said, because obviously we're getting full crit values. You need to have a good balance with that. So. Exactly. For the enemy's sake, too. Mm -hmm. And, like, so, like we've said, this is, like, so far been, like, good general improvements for, like, just D&D &D as a whole. I know we talked about Pokemon a bit, but these are still the same for normal D&D. &D. You know, like, as players, like, if you lose your weapon, like, that's you huge. Break it. Or you yeah. break your weapon. Like, now the guy that only is, like, brought his longsword, because he's proficient with, like, longsword specifically, now he has to use a weapon, like, those extra weapons you pick in the beginning. 
You know, where you're kind of like, yeah. oh, okay, I guess I'll pick a dart or a whip or etc. Now, if that's yeah, the only thing the, he has, random. now that makes a roleplay moment where it's like, okay, those choices that you made in the beginning of the game to carry those extra little side weapons that people kind of rarely yeah. use, you know, like, like, let's be honest. Yeah, what, like, why might you have a quarter staff? You know, mm. why? Is there something about that? Something, you know, is there is there a reason you have a dart? Like what? Like why do you have like a few darts? You know, or like a, like if wizards have like a dagger, it's like well, you know, if your staff breaks and you now can't cast spells, and you're stuck yeah. with this dagger that you picked like from session zero when you built your character, and you're like, I guess I'll just grab a dagger. I guess I'll just grab this. Now, if you're stuck with just that, the character like the character implications that could happen, crazy. Like yeah, our spellcaster like if they break their arcane focus or something like that's you know, yeah, or if you know, their spell quickly becomes, like, a wild magic chart, and you could be hitting anything, everything. Yeah, polymorphing the team into sheep, and now it's like, well... Yeah, <laughs> there goes whatever plan you could have had. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What other uh, homebrew rules have we had? Yeah, so, a big one that at least we did this campaign that we mentioned in episode one, just to get people into it, that I, I wanted to talk about more here... And that's starting beyond level one. Now, if you are a new DM and you have a lot of new players with you playing for the first time, it's perfectly fine to start at level one. There's a lot of stuff that the DM and the players have to remember of what's going on. Now, if this is somebody or you feel that these are players that are pretty good with these kind of games, maybe they play Pathfinder a lot, maybe they've played other kind of fantasy role-playing games, my recommendation whenever I have players start with me that are with somewhat experienced is to start them beyond level one. And we did that in, to talk about the Pokemon one first, right? Level mm-hmm. one, yeah, you get your starter Pokemon, you get your specialization, and specializations are like, okay, I'm a swimmer, I'm a camper, engineer, etc., right? And it's like, oh, okay, if I'm the engineer, I can increase my int by one, and I get a plus one bonus to all skill checks made by any of my electric Pokemon. Cool. How does that help me roleplay-wise? Maybe I'm some sort of, like, techie or a gearhead on the side cool level two in the pokemon DD is trainer path right and then that's where things start to come in trainer yeah, paths are, are things like where are you a researcher are you a pokemon collector are you a grunt you know are you a nurse like mm-hmm. these are things that impact your character I, in my opinion a little more than just saying okay i'm a gearhead on the ho- on the side or oh yeah i like to swim i'm a swimmer i get my little water Wait. bonuses you know yeah because th- those are those are for types, mm-hmm. but the whereas the trainer path that's you as a player that's almost like a second background. Yeah, and that's like like have you seen the anime or the games right? Like Brock's like a chef or like a breeder, you know, like that's his thing. Like he wants to do that, and that's what helps kind of shape him as I want to say a character where Ash is more like a battler guy that goes out. Yeah. Doing things. He's the he, yeah, the trainer. Yeah, he's like the trainer. Whether if I, I don't want know if one hundred percent Ash would be defined as an ace trainer or maybe like a commander because of his bond with Pokemon and having a starting loyalty as the top tier and things. But yeah, there's definitely one for him. I forget what it is called specifically, but mm-hmm. yeah, it it really fleshes out who you are. You know, and for Gregory as an example. He's a, he works in the research lab, and that's how he met Scott's character, or uh, Mike Scott's character. Scott, Mike's <laughs> character. Gosh, 
Yeah. So like it it again for it can be the the bond between your character and the world or other characters. And I know at least for us too, we used um we did those and then we had other types of backgrounds for our characters at least. That yeah, that at least help shape that was homebrew-esque in whether if it's like being the athlete, right? Or a pokey friend or a connoisseur. And that was good mm-hmm. for like starting, right? Because that gives you extra starting equipment and extra skill proficiencies. And that's a total homebrew thing. I'll be sure to put the link to that down below if you want to look into that with your players and stuff. Um, like, for example, you were the studious, right? Which was like the brain. So you had like skill proficiencies and investigation history and your item knowledge specifically, which makes good role playing moments, was TMs. Yes. I haven't used it yet, but yeah, I haven't used I'm it yet. And that's and that's yeah. where, you know, what happens. I'm sure it'll be a cool moment when it happens, you know. Yeah, that role play moment of, oh yeah, by the way, my character can you know, has this tool belt of information that, you know, can Otherwise, wouldn't really happen. It would just be a normal check. You know? It'd be, oh, do I know what this TM is? Nothing really too flashy. Yeah, and to even say that we see early on, like the early on episodes, right? Uh, Sky's character, Charlie, starts with Pokeballs that are more than just the average Pokeballs. Yeah. And that proves so useful for her early on when it comes to trying to catch things. Getting that extra plus, like, I think it's five Something, to her yeah, it, animal handling Pokeball catch. Yeah, so she was rolling uh, plus nines to catch Mons right out of the gate, and it's like, that that's huge. Because, yeah. you know, it, none of them are more than 20 off the bat, I don't think. So No, not that I can think of, at least yes. not in your catching range for now. Yeah, you know? I mean, you roll... At least a fifty percent on your dice rolls, and you're you're pretty good. Yeah, like a ten plus nine is a nineteen. Like unless it's like a nat one. I think one time she, like early on, to spoil stuff, but like I think it's, it was like a really low number, and she like just missed it. But like a plus yeah. nine when you guys yeah. are level like two to trying to catch mons is huge, huge, definitely. Um, and it creates those moments between your Pokemon because the again starting at level two. We've had a whole level, a certain amount of time where we've already had our Pokemon and... Your starter, you mean, right? Yes, a yeah. starter. So, in Gregory's case, is Piplup. There's, there's a bond that's already been formed between them, so that, that plays a role in how they interact with the world, rather than, oh, here's a new Pokemon that... I've never met before. You know, if something happened to to them now, it it would be much more catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And I know you're talking about Pokemon D and D a lot, but this is the same for normal D and D. I feel like thinking of like three right druids is like one of the biggest ones that sticks out to me. Yes, level one as a druid, right? I get spells, I get the run-of-the-mill kind of stuff, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm my full druid yet until, like, 
Like, at level one, okay, you get Druidic, you're able to cast spells. Okay. Like, to read yeah. Druidic, right? Like, you know Druidic, the secret language of Druid. You can speak the language, use, and leave hidden messages. And, like, spellcasting, okay, I get cantrips, I get some spells early yeah i get like two first level spells but i don't actually get to do the fun druid things that define me and stick me out a little more than the other spellcasters and that's with wild shaping you know by being able to turn into creatures the amount of role play and combat stuff that can develop from that just by starting at level two can help your players feel more like okay i picked this class and i get to do special things for this class like, if you're, you're the only druid on the team, you're the only one that can turn into, like, a rat that can sneak into the castle for intelligence. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, nobody, like, maybe they got conjure a familiar later on that could do that for them, but then it's like, you lose kind of the roleplay aspect where if you start at level 2 for your adventures, like, you can become the rat that can sneak in the cave and can see what the goblins are up to as recon, and then come back out and let players know, okay, there's, like, three goblins in this next room. Exactly. And I feel like, from a player's perspective, when... When we start at level two, it's it's not like we're just fresh out of boot camp, right? We're we're actual adventurers with actual powers that separate us from every run of the mill fighter with a short sword, you know. And it it really it really adds that depth that mm. I think is important because it's like again, it's just the more puzzle pieces you have a better picture you can paint about your character yeah and so like we looked at like the druid for a bit and not to say that druid's the only one but then you got like the monk being the next one right where Big it's like one. monks don't get their key until second level yeah and key and that is, is a big thing you know exactly You get features like Flurry of Blows, right? Um, is it, uh, patient Defense and Step of the Wind, I think, are like the, some of the key things you get when you're like a first like level two there. Yeah, early levels. Um, really getting to that level two, level three, that's, that's where the, the first kind of benchmark of your characters comes in. Yeah, like, so just looking at it, right, Flurry of Blows, you immediately after you take the attack action, you can spend one of your key points to make two unarmed strikes as a bonus action, so you get more hits in. Or you can spend a key point to take the dodge action as a bonus. Um, or you can spend one key point to disengage or even dash. And that's where you feel more like, okay, I'm the quick flying around, jumping, I kind of picture like, I, I picture Kung Fu Panda in a way, you know, <laughs> where it's like, yeah, I start as Poe, but I want to be like Tigress. I don't get to be Tigress until I get to be, like, level 2 where I get to do all the extra stuff, you know? Exactly, yeah. Instead, I'm just, like, Poe in the beginning where it's, like, uh, trying, like, every other guy. Failing most often. Failing most yeah. often, yeah. I don't get to do the fun dodging extra kicks every once in a while, you know? For sure. <laughs> and, like, a third thing, just to hit the, hit the nail home here. Wizards, right? Yeah, I can cast spells. I, I can mm -hmm. cast spells like the Paladin. I can cast... I mean, and don't get wrong. I know every class has certain class-specific spells, but you cantrips and level one spells, you kind of all have the kind of run-of-the-mill, like Firebolt, etc., you know? And it's like, wizards get their arcane tradition, where it's... I get to now pick a class of spells to specialize in. Whether it's evocation, necromancy, and that's like a big character defining thing too, you know. 
Is my wizard going to be somebody that's lucky and like doing evocation, alteration, things like that? Or am I going to be somebody that's going to go down the necromancer path? And I haven't told the other group members yet, but the DM knows I want to do it. But I've been secretly collecting bones when no one else is looking to try to start to raise an undead army. Like that's a huge character concept thing that your character would not be able to explore if they didn't really start at level two to get that ball rolling, you know? For sure. Okay, so, kind of want to do a little thing now where we go in between our little topics and we have this thing where we want to call a pokey pause. So, little thing where we get to do little side things away from these two topics quick. So, uh, first thing being, we each got like a little fun fact, a little thing to just kind of share with each other, a little trivia for those two at home. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Oh. I can go first. All right, sure. So, this fact is one that uh, I found out recently, and uh, it's really interesting that Game Freak hasn't monopolized on this yet. Because, um, when I when I say what the fact is, it's gonna seem kind of weird that it's not a thing, but apparently. The only type combo for dragon that isn't used, so dragon and something else, the only one that isn't used is dragon and bug. And I say that this is in- really interesting because we have Flygon, mm-hmm. which is a dragonfly. So, I don't know. Do with that what you will. But there's a fun fact. What's your fun fact? And like... Not to, like, go at it, right? But Vibrava looks like a bug. And if you evolve from a Trapinch. Like, yes, Trapinch is a ground type. But it evolves into something that looks like a bug. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, I know Vibrava is a ground bug Pokemon. But like it's like yeah. the it's the vibration Pokemon. Like don't get me wrong, like ground and dragon I guess could vibrate with them. It looks like a bug. And then Flygon looks the perfect example as a bug dragon. Right. Like yeah, like dragonfly is what it, it Yeah. That's what it is. It looks like a I mean it's the mystic Pokemon in quotes, but like <laughs> I get you. I see what you're saying. Like that they're missing a chance for a literal dragonfly. Like, they could play off that so well, you know. Instead of yeah. giving us, like, our fourth cat as an example. It seems so obvious, too. Like, dragonfly. It's a bug dragon. Like, Yeah, like, they have normal dragon before they had bug dragon. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and where's the variant flygon where it is a dragonfly? You know, we have all these regions. With different regional you know, variants. There could be yeah. a bug, yeah. Like, give sword it... and shield. Come on. <laughs> give it scales or something, you know, like, to resemble more of, like... I mean, maybe not scales, but, like, make it look more bug-esque, I guess. It's it's already Absolutely. a bright green, but, like, you could have a, definitely a regional variant, or if it's, like, Gigamax Flygon or something. And right, then that's, get, get like, the alternate type. Mm-hmm. It's a larger, like, literally, like, a dragonfly with its wings beating so fast. Yeah. Well, that could be cool. All right, so, for mine was, and I thought this was a really kind of cool fun fact. So, apparently... The Pokemon Cubone can learn two water moves. Those being Bubble Beam and Water Gun. 
Now, it can only learn it in Gen 1. From getting the TM-11 and TM-12, TM-11 being Bubble Beam and 12 being Water Gun. But the fact that this little guy can shoot bubbles and shoot a beam of water? And this, like, little ground-type guy? Yeah, where'd that come from? And, like, you can move it up if you really want to go through the whole process of moving it up. But then, like, it's like, then you have a Marowak that knows those moves? Like, that would catch people off guard. Like, I would not be For expecting sure. to send, have water moves coming at me from a Cubone, let alone a Marowak. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, what, how did it, how did it even learn the water move? Because none of it, even in the lore, none of its ancestors were water types. No. Or were they? Like, if I look at things that are compatible with it, like, yeah, I mean, like, okay, it can learn moves from its parents through, like, breeding, right? Where it's like, yeah, it can learn, the only moves that I can see that it can learn via its parents from looking at different gens, right, is only, like, rock normal moves that I've been able to see. I mean, there's some fighting, maybe some steel, but there's not, like, it can learn any other sorts of water moves. And, like, yes, while it can learn and it can mate with totodile and lapras and squirtle for things those are things like of normal moves like skull bash like to me that makes sense for a cube bone to have because it literally has a bone skull that it would hit into things right but learning like those water moves via tm was just i thought very surprising and not anything i would you know think of right out of the gate of fighting a cube bone and all of a sudden it's spraying me with a water gun or a bubble beam Right. And why does it need it? Because isn't ground already super effective to fire? Um, I don't know about that. I mean, fire damages it normally. Oh, no. I mean, like, so say Cubone knows a ground move. Yeah. Isn't that already super effective against fire? Oh, I see what so, you're saying. And electricity. So what does it need water for? Yeah, like it's... Two times weak to ground, rock, and water. I agree. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Like, if it's fighting a fire type, yeah. Why? I think it was one of those things that just, like, slipped and nobody noticed. Nobody caught on. Nobody nobody caught it. I'm just curious where this little guy makes the water from. True. And with the the mask, how... Does it shoot out the the holes in the nose? Or the mask? Does it spin the bone fast and it just sprays water via the bone? Like, what? How does this little ground type, the lonely Pokemon, be able to spray water? And maybe it's his tears because he's so alone. And like, heaven forbid, like, I don't, I don't know. Alolan Marowak couldn't learn it, but that would be crazy having a fire ghost type know a water move. Like, oh yeah. But, yeah, like, no. Marowak's known as the Bone Keeper Pokemon. So the fact that it can just shoot water from somewhere got everyone confused. Now, granted, yes, it is a TM, so it doesn't, like, learn it via level up naturally. But the fact that it can just learn it, period, was very surprising. Absolutely. All right. So, that was a little fun fact of the days. And I wanted to get into something that is a great way to help us out. To be able to help us be able to... Let our editor know that you guys and us, we really appreciate everything that she's doing, being able to edit for all of us, and that's through our Patreon. So the Patreon link will be down below for you guys to check out, and I know we mentioned it at the end of episodes and things, so it's now 
time to go into it. If you haven't checked it out yet, we'll go quickly into the tiers that are on the Patreon. That way you can help show us support, you know, whether if it's just a donation one time or if it's every month. So the first tier that you could be a part of on the Patreon is known as the Auntie Anita, based on what happened in the first episode. I thought that was a great tier to name yes. it after. Um, so Love for, it. Yeah, right? So for just <laughs> $2 per month, you are able to, by joining this tier, you gain the access to the Q&A text channel that's in our Discord. Discord link will be down below too. So you can join our Discord normally and just chat with us, but if you want to be a part of Q&A and ask us character kind of questions, and then this is where your questions can get answered by us on a future Q&A episode that we can record. And those will appear as a bonus episode somewhere if we get enough questions, etc. And that'd be cool to Love get to, to get the cast together, right? And to hear from you guys, to hear what you think about our characters from what's been uploaded so far. And then they can answer in, like, character things to try to almost, like, hear words from you guys. And they can reach out to kind of be like, why Why did Gregory do that at that time? Or why did Charlie do that at that time? What made you guys yeah. choose your starters, etc.? Like, why those ones? You know, because we don't yeah. go into too much about that in the actual podcast. So that's a good spot where if you have any questions about what's going on in the world, even if it's just to me as the DM and you have just questions for me about what's going on, that's a good way to reach out to us. Absolutely. We And the players, I'm sure, I know I, at the very least, would love to hear all the questions and be able to answer anything that you guys think of about... Same uh, thing for Katie and I, Katie is Ama and Sky is Charlie. Like, they reached out to me saying like they're hyped to hear from you guys, to hear what questions you have for them because they like to be interactive with, you know, our fan base. So that's sure. the, the first tier for just $2 per month. Now... For $5 per month is the Pokédex tier. This one gives you extra... This allows you to experience episodes of what you're listening to right now, DM Directions, and whenever we do one-shots, you get to hear them a week ahead of everyone else. So before they go into the normal feed on certain things, on certain, um, like, platforms, you guys will be able to hear it a week ahead of time from the Patreon. And so what this is, is... You'll be able to hear the DM directions, the talk show done between the co-hosts of DM Told Me To, Ryan and Tyler. And we go into tips on how to enhance your Dungeons & Dragons experience like you've been hearing so far. And in addition, we'll be giving shoutouts to members in this tier and higher once an episode to thank you guys for your constant support. And we've actually gotten a donation from a man by the name of Paul. He donated to us $15 to help us. And that money has gone right to our editor to show her that we appreciate all the stuff she's doing to help us out with this. Because let me tell you, it is not easy to crop, to crop down hours of content and to make it be nice, crisp, and hearing it great for you guys to hear. So, yeah. yeah. Great work by the whole team. And we'd love to keep, you know, supporting everyone. So, if you... uh if you have a few dollars, you know, price of a coffee cup and price of a coffee cup, just one coffee cup, a single cup, single price cup, of, right? Price of a coffee, you know, not much. You can be a part of our community, and we'd love to have everyone here. So, and that will also include all the, that'll include the tier below at the Antinita tier. So, by doing the five dollars per month Pokédex tier, you also can have access to the Q and A's to be able to ask us questions. Um, additionally. You'll be able to hear the one-shots that we do, like I said, a week ahead of time. So not just the DM directions, but you'll be able to hear the one-shots that we do ahead of everybody else. So if anything, you can start talking about in the Discord and the other people are like, 
wait, what about the one shots? And you could be like, well, I saw it ahead of time. You know, I got to hear stuff and ask questions about it ahead of time. So other people are like, oh, what kind of thing? So it's awesome. No spoilers. Yeah. Try not to spoil too much, but, you know, (laughs) it's cool. Like that, that other time you'd be able to hear it ahead of time. Give us your comments on the Patreon and what you think about it and all that. So, all right. So that was Pokedex for $5 a month. Now, next one being the third tier, the $10 per month tier. Now we're getting into the whole, yes, you can ask those questions and we do bonus episodes and the other things where you can hear content ahead of time, which is awesome. Now we get into the $10 per month tier. This is where things start to get, in my opinion, I think pretty impactful. So this is the Professor Kelp tier. You'll be able to see a picture of Professor Kelp there with his little Quincy, his Kecleon behind him. Now this is the Encounter Creation tier. So for $10 per month, By working with the professor, you can help shape the world of Ormia through developing an encounter for our players to deal with. This tier will allow you to submit suggestions that impact what could happen within the story. By signing up for this tier, you can suggest characters to be NPCs in Ormia. So if you even want, like, your name to be an NPC of somebody that they could run into is impactful. You could help create encounters for on future routes for our players. You could create a future legend on routes. You'll be able to see as the game progresses our heroes will go onto a route and they'll be able to hear the legend of a Pokemon that's on the route and they could run into that. And if they they do, when they go onto that route and hear a legend or if it's a NPC or another one here is you'll be able to submit ship upgrades. We'll get into that a few later on in the series where they'll be able to choose different upgrades for their ships. And if you want to submit to me ideas that they could have to enhance their travel or give them funny and different things that I may not have ever thought about, that will go on and I will be sure to say hey this was submitted by so and so on patreon and that way you can feel that you are having an impact on what happens to these players in the story you are leaving your mark in the virtual world for what's happening to these guys on their adventure you know yeah that's huge and like it says below it there we could discuss the impact once you sign up and like i said you'll be giving credit and the encounter creation when it gets used in the podcast. And you also get the Pokédex things. You'll be able to hear things ahead of time. You can just ask Q&As to everybody. That's also given too. And you'll be given the Professor Kelp tier in the Discord. And same thing for you. You'll be given the Pokédex tier and the Auntie Anita tier, etc. So the last tier. The Big Shebang. This one only has currently three slots. So... That's something where if you want to get in on something that has limited slots, limited opportunities, this is the tier to do it. And that's where you become an honorary member of Last Hope. So, what that tier is, you can join and play D&D with us. By buying this tier, you gain the access to play along with the cast in once-a-month one-shots. This can be Pokemon or regular D&D one-shots, your choice. So by doing that, you'll be able to play along with one of us co-hosts here and some of the players and the other people that signed up for this tier here and you will be able to be recorded as some of the one shots that could go up on our feed you could play the game with us so if you're looking for people to play with that's a good group of people that you've heard about and want to leave your mark on the digital world you could sign up for this tier this one is $20 per month but of course that's Every month you'll be able to do a one-shot with us and it could, it'll be recorded if you so decide to. If people don't want to have it recorded, then, you know, obviously we won't make you. But if you want to be recorded and go up on our feed, got three slots there waiting for people to hop up and join for that. And, of course, like I said, you'll be able to get everything down below. So you'll be able to submit to me encounters. You'll be able to you get the content early. You'll be able to get your questions answered for the Q&A. 
and all that. Yeah. So go ahead. Take my spot on the team. You can have it. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> so is that about wrap it up for our Pokey Paws here? Um, I think so. I could talk about quickly like our goals on the Patreon. Um, sure. Just the first few at least. So if we can get to 20 Patreons, 20 patrons, uh, we reach the nat 20 of patron support. This will allow us to be able to pay our editor more because she spends hours doing this work to bring you the best content possible, and this would help her critically know her work is being valued. I see what you did there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if we can get to 151 patrons, and I'll stop after, you know, I'll leave it at this one for now. If we can get to up to 151 patrons, we will be able to extend the slots of the honorary members of Last Hope to six people. So there will be a notification in the Discord about it. We'll make sure to let people know that we will then up yeah. it from three people to be able to play with us up to six. Whether that's two different groups, what have you. We'll see what happens when that time comes, but it should be dope. And this way we can have a full team to travel with when we get going, you know? I'd love to play with everyone. But, alas, only <laughs> so many spots. That's true. If we make it to the next tier, we can open up more slots and things, and it'd be great. Have a bigger group to play with and all that. Did you want to get into other forms of ways that they can see us or follow us for what's going on? Absolutely. Our biggest form right now, and uh, it's vastly growing, is our Instagram account. It's under the same name, uh, DM told me to, lowercase, with underscores in between each word. You can go and follow us, and on those accounts, uh, Ryan and I will be posting uh, content, art, uh, announcements, polls around the time of each episode, and um, it's a way for all of us to stay connected as a community, so be sure to follow that. For the main campaign, our plan is... To get them uploaded the same day every week. Yeah, and we we will do our best. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, life happens, especially during these. Um, I don't even know what to call them. Odd times. That's fair. Yeah, with everything going on. Um, so as we get them out, we'll definitely do our best to make sure that they're weekly uploads, at least for the main campaign. These side ones will. Be wherever if we for the beginning, you know, and then once we get things solidified, we'll figure out where they go. So, absolutely. All right. Second topic, specifically, Pokey D and D improvements. Right, things to help the general book. As of right now, it's generations one to generation six updated for the book. Um, we are the last update made in the book was on. Not to date it, but uh, the end of January, I believe, is the last update that was made to the book. The one that we're using, at least. So if stuff's updated since then, obviously, there's changes. But um, ways to help improve that. And while the book goes into details about leveling up characters like players, via there's they talk about two different ways. And that could be through catching Pokemon and having X number of Pokemon on your team for level amounts and then that determines what level you as a trainer are by the how strong your pokemon are and while that is a way of doing it that becomes a lot of 
math and also it becomes a thing where it's like yes i've trained up my pokemon but does that necessarily mean that me as a trainer has leveled up right definitely and it's not as efficient when you have a larger party right yeah and like you could catch a wild pokemon that's a higher level so then does that mean that now you as a trainer has leveled up because you caught something that was harder to catch or a higher level mon yeah it doesn't seem to show player growth as much as it does party growth mm-hmm and another another like idea that the book uses is oh well as a trainer then instead of choosing your pokemon levels you could do pokemon register in the pokedex and while yes that is a good idea that also at least to me as a dm for example at second you become character level two if you scan eight pokemon well if you're traveling in a group of four there's half your team half of the eight right there and heaven forbid Absolutely. there's four other Pokemon walking around the town, or if you grew up on a farm, as Charlie did, right? And there's other Pokemon there that she could scan. You could be level two leaving the first place. If you, and like I said, nothing's wrong with starting ahead of the game, but then this makes every bonus action be, oh, I have to scan that. And then right. there becomes a time where we've seen coming up, and you'll see coming up in future episodes, certain players will only scan certain Pokemon because they've gone out on their own to find something, or it's their encounter. Right. It it creates many opportunities for imbalance among the party. Yeah, and then that comes to the part where it's like, oh, this guy leveled up before me kind of thing. I have to go out and find another Pokemon to scan, or somebody else goes out hunting by themselves. And then it just becomes, yeah, because level, after you scan 15 Pokemon, then you're level 3. 25 Pokemon, then you're level 4. Like, and when you're, when you're worried about scanning, you're not role-playing. Exactly. And, like, Tyler, if you go right now to your decks on the app, if you yep. can, just let me know over. right now how many Pokemon you guys have scanned. You've, at least you as Gary has scanned. And, of course, this is in the future for some episodes, but we're not going to say what those are. We'll just tell you right now how many that he's got for reference. Yeah. As far as seen, it seems to be about 30. Right. So right now you would be a fourth level trainer. And you would be five scans away from being level five as a character. And that's a fourth of the game because level 20 is the max in D&D. &D. Yeah, that, that... What had... What a, and that's where it's like, what has you as a character up to this point? And obviously, we don't have to go into specifics, but what have you as a character... Do you feel like your character should be a fourth of the way leveled up all the way? Right. Haven't done that. My, you know, there I haven't reached those milestones. Yeah, like character growth changes, you know, exactly. and and that's where in in D and D, normal D and D, I feel it's different, right? And that's because, at least in my mind, you as people are just fighting monsters, and then you gain XP based on the monsters, or DMs give out based on role play, etc. They get bonus XP, etc. Right. In this, it's not just you. It's different guys on your team that you are in control of. Now, yeah. if we did it whereas your characters gain XP, in addition to your mons, that could be an idea. Never one I dabble with. Just something I thought of right off the cuff right now. Mm -hmm. But the way that I at least like to do Pokemon D&D &D specifically compared to 
normal D&D. Or this could be, this is applicable to normal D&D too, but I like to use milestones specifically in Poké D&D. And the book doesn't go into that as an idea. Where certainly but we homebrew. We homebrew. And this is, you know, the segment's dedicated to homebrewing. And the way that I like to do milestones that I encourage people, because I, I found it easier as a DM and I think as a player, where the way I like my milestones to be is, let's say that there's eight gyms in a region. And this is kind of based on the Pokemon games in a, in a way too. Right before you get to every gym, there's always like some major story thing or you go into some bad guy's base, you stop them from destroying a lake, etc. Right? And then you go to like a gym. When you do something major halfway through, that's when your character should gain a level. And then after they beat the gym, they should gain another level. Right? So character-wise in Poké D&D could be if they do something big story impact-wise, either affecting them, the world, etc., then they should gain that level. Which should be about halfway if you've planned out. I don't, now some DMs plan, some DMs don't. Which nothing's wrong with either. But if you're somebody that plans, then you can be like, okay, this will be X number of episodes, X number of sessions in like air quotes. Because obviously you don't know what could happen. But this was about halfway-ish to making it to them to the next gym. They should gain a level. And then that way them as trainers feel, okay, we've done stuff in the world to have an impact. And we've gone through a little bit of character growth. Instead of just scanning everything that they can see along the road. Then that makes, as DM, it's like, well, Wild Encounters is scans. Trainers is scans. I haven't read, I try to use variety. You know? Right. Like, what's impacting the character when we're just battling Weedles on the path? Exactly. Not much. You haven't grown too much as a character. There's no life lesson in that life lessons or things you've picked up on it's like oh yeah i can fight better or oh i know now more about pokemon and it's like okay yes you do and and like i want to say too while these options aren't bad my recommendation would be at least for poke dnd specifically if you're a dm planning and that's why you're listening to kind of hear some advice from dm you know telling you some advice and even as a as a player i'm sure tyler can say Instead of having to worry about scanning or, oh, I need my mons to be certain levels and then I have to do math to figure out what's their total Pokemon levels needed for me as a trainer to level up. How does that work? Right. Because, I mean, when I think of scanning, you know, you see you see in shows, uh, the anime of Pokemon, you see Ash constantly scanning to learn about the Pokemon around him. But you don't see... Every other character always scanning. Exactly. So I, That's I think an awesome it, point. It, yeah, it plays into part of the what is the personality of the person? Are they are they the person that needs to constantly scan, or are they the kind of character that just would rather enjoy the sight of them and the mystery of it mm-hmm. without reading every single detail all the time? And always stopping, you know? And then that way, too, at least as a DM to players, while reading dex entries are nice, you can describe the Pokemon a bit and have them try to figure out what it is. And then when they scan it and be like, oh, it's this. Okay. Then they'll get some recognition as players. Now, 
their characters may not have run into this before, or they may have. But And then that's the part where it's like the player versus the character, which is a, certainly an idea to talk about in the future, too. But For sure. Yeah, how to be a good role-playing character. Definitely. Yeah. Um, compared to somebody that is constantly trying to get levels to make themselves stronger, and there's nothing... Like I said, these ideas for character advancement that the book has provided are two okay ideas. I personally think Milestones is just better, and I recommend it to people that are new to this kind of thing. Because then it makes it seem like you can use a variety of different mods that they could encounter on the roots and stuff, and then that doesn't limit what you could give them. Because if you're afraid, like, oh my god, my player's going to be level 5 before they make it to the first gym, like... Because you're giving them different stuff. They're running into NPCs and stuff, which is great. That's role-playing moments, you know. They're surrounded by these creatures known as Pokemon. They should have good role-playing moments. But then that shouldn't have them accelerate as far as in terms of levels. And I think an important thing to note is that in regular D&D, when you're using the EXP system as opposed to Milestone, it it almost falls into this rigidness of... If I'm not slaying everything, I'm not getting XP. I'm not getting Whereas up. if they have that that brilliant plan that is executed in a great way and you want to reward your character, well, they thought a plan through. That seems like a milestone to me, mm-hmm. even though they might not have slayed the giant beast, you know? And then this way too, and you bring up a really good point with that, Ty. This way, too, the players aren't... Because the way that these two are laid out is like, okay, I need to be immersive in Pokemon and be out in the field finding Pokemon or catching high-level Pokemon. It's either, according to these two, not to say that they're bad, like I've said, but according to these two, option one being, okay, I need to grind out my Pokemon levels and grind out in the woods, and then other players are like, okay, I guess we'll do a grinding session instead of continuing out with the story to get our levels higher so that our trainer levels feel higher. Or the other one is, like, we have to go out and scan stuff. And every two seconds, like, oh, can I scan that? Can I scan that? Is there any birds in the sky? Can I scan them? Is there any bugs crawling around? Can I scan them? It takes you out of that. And obviously some players are good, but there are some players that will want to level up fast. Nothing's wrong with that. But almost by making it be a milestone system that the DM can control, the DM can then be like, okay, I feel that they've done enough impactful stuff as character growth and world-changing. Or one or the other, it doesn't have the and, but they've done some stuff as characters to earn that character level up versus grinding Pokemon or scanning Pokemon. Because ultimately, it's you as the character that's changing. Your Pokemon get XP from fighting. You as the character, what have you done to develop and change? Yeah, it gives us incentive to to be active in the world. And to be role-playing. Like you've said, you know, it, it shouldn't... And that's part of me. Now, if you're doing a... Pokemon D&D campaign where you are grinding out constantly like if it's like almost like a Pokemon mystery dungeon where you are you know exploring fighting things as being a Pokemon or it's like a dungeon crawl in a Pokemon world which doesn't sound like too crazy like it sounds like a fun idea you just have to realize that now by doing that just there's some less role playing implementations which some people might not even want to role play they some people like D&D for the hack and slash and that's fine. But there are some players that in your group that might enjoy the role-playing and don't want to hack and slash all the time. Yeah. And and this milestone system is good because even if you are the hack and slash player or the Pokedex scanner, the battler, 
you can still do all that yes. just as easily. It just also ramps up the reward for other things too. Yeah, and then that way it's like, yes, you grind it up a bit or you've scanned stuff a lot, but now like once you reach that certain milestone that the DM has set, some world-changing thing that you've done before you make it to the gym, like I said, so you kind of do like every other level, right? You do a level before the gym, then the gym, before the gym, the gym, etc. Or in our case, in our story, towers, etc. Right. Or whatever you're, you're grinding, yeah. you'll breeze right through the fights. And that's fine. And if that's what you want to do as a player, you know, that's okay. Right. It's like just, I'm saying, it's still, yeah. capa- the, you know, the capabilities are still there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So next topic being tables versus planned encounters, right? And this is where I've done D&D both ways. I've done it where, and I've done a Pokemon campaign both ways like this, actually. I've done it where I've had three planned events for my characters get through a quote-unquote day and then they're in the nighttime and then we do it this way for this campaign that we're doing here that i like better where i will plan maybe one a day if that and then the rest is them rolling see what they could get because ultimately that's what dd's like about you know rolling to see what wild things you can encounter and that's why you guys as listeners always hear we go okay roll a d100 to see what you encounter another d100 if you want to see if it's shiny and then, a D- and then a D12. And then that way too, and as DMs, if you need a good tip on preparing stuff, all you have to do then is make a table. You can use that table for roots on roots. Like if it, they're two connecting roots, there can be some overlap in what you encounter. Like my table's a simple D1 through 100. And like some of them range from, like for example, it's like 1 to 8, 9 to 15, 16 to 34. And I'll put one Pokemon for each of those increments. So like a Pidgey might be 1 through 8. A Sunkern might be 9 through 15. A Cone be 16 through 34, as an etc. And that's a big jump, but that was just because of what I wanted to do because that Pokemon's more common. And that's like the games, right? You encounter rarer stuff in the games. That's why the players feel, oh, okay, I could have a chance of encountering different random things. And then you as DM's like, okay, they will roll to see what they encounter. And then the D12 list I use is things where it's like, oh, is it defending a territory or an item? Is it protecting a fellow pokemon is it stealing an item is it attacking you out of nowhere and gets a surprise attack because these are wild creatures you know right and from a player perspective when we're rolling it it's almost like not that we have control but it's that there's some sort of consequence of the situation that we have been placed in or put ourselves in you know if if I roll on a chart for a fumble or for the encounter of me being in the wild, you know, that's something that I have, I have some sort of impact on. And, and it makes, frankly, it makes me pay attention more. Yeah. And for best advices for using a table versus playing encounters, that's up to what the DM likes. If, if you want to be somebody that is planned to a T, and it's like, okay, they're going into this, run into this, run into this. That's okay. If that's what you as a DM likes, that's fine. Players like just, some players like just being told, okay, this happens, this happens. Other players I've come to find like the blend. So I might have a fixed encounter for them, but they can roll at different times during the days. And then that way too, it does, if you don't have a planned thing every, like have like three or four actions that they're going to do a day planned, it opens it up more to, 
the session's not taking super long, right, Ty? Because we've run into that, where it might be three or four sessions, and your characters haven't made it through a single day of travel yet. You know, Absolutely. and those sessions could last like four to five hours, and that's twenty hours of in-game, twenty hours of you spent for just getting through one possible day of in-game time. Absolutely, and it it can it can be hard, especially when some players want the the, the railroad story, as it, as some call it. Yeah. While others want to just explore and the sandbox versus the railroad right where it's like players can sandbox to see what they find hiding in the sand where the other group is like okay we're on these tracks let's go and that's fine and if you're new dm too setting up for things this is where you can kind of ask your players for example what i did was i asked my players hey if you guys could give me a list of pokemon that you would want to ever encounter to have on your team to have some interest of mons that they would enjoy to have and then I use that and sprinkle those into my roots every once in a while to give them some incentive where if they roll on, they could be like, oh, that's a Pokemon I want to use, you know? Yeah. And that's what makes the players feel like that the DM's listening. It, the DM will then have more players that are active and happy and want to play more because they get to use these Pokemon that they get to use. And that's what makes Pokemon D&D different than the games, you know? The games is like, okay, I have I have to go do this fixed thing. I have no control over it. Poke D&D is... Your players do whatever, then you make the world interact for them. You know? If they choose to attack an NPC that's traveling along the pathway instead of helping them, there might be some repercussions to that. Like, stuff might change later on in the story because they did that. It might not have been what you planned, but you have to, you know, adapt where if it's a sandbox encounter or what have you versus planned, etc. So I like to do a blend, personally. That's me. I might put one or two planned encounters a day. The rest is just have them roll to see because in that way they feel like, okay, we're traveling, we're progressing with the story. We're running into wild mounds. We can run from them. Like in the games, you can run from them. That's a concept in the book. So if they're rolling, yeah, if they're rolling on a table and they're like, well, we don't kind of want this, we'll just run, you know, and that's fine. And that's part of the day done for you as DMs. Like, okay, now they're done. We can move on to the next story aspect. Definitely. Now, do you as a player have any opinion on the whole concept of uh, tables being sandboxy versus planned railroad. It it definitely is a nice blend because while it is a railroaded list, there's you still feel the chance. The you know when you see a two quickly switch into you know a nineteen or whatever you have on the dice, it's like oh wow. That that role that could have been a potentially poor encounter could easily, you know, just as easily turn into something something like the the legend of the root. And you and with the legends, you don't know what number you're aiming for. Mm-hmm. So it it really is just that randomness, while also being while also having in the back of your mind, chances are something I want could be here. Yeah. So it's nice. And that's where it's kind of like it could be the whole like the legend could be 98 to 100 and a D 100. It could be the 24 to 27. You know, and by mixing it up and keeping your players on their toes while getting the top end feels nice in DD as a whole by randomizing the root numbers a lot. That way they feel okay. I could roll, I could roll any number and it could be a, like a heat or something on my list I want or it could be a weedle. Like, you know, there's that variety to it. That you as the DM has the power to if you 
just want to make a table and then have a few quick session things set up for your players players that like the power of feeling i can roll to see what i get you know it's just yeah great for a player i'm just, for some it does know? you can do that with magical item lists too yes you can yes lists. there's a lot of magic item lists that you can make like if you're like okay i know my guy's a wizard and he would like these are a list of rare wizard items to give, or these are a list of common trinkets to give out to players. If they find two trinkets, roll to see what treasure you find. Absolutely. It gives more opportunities for role play as well. You get an item that's somewhat related to your character, and boom, you got like another hook. And yeah, and what and what could be good too is like a last thing to say on this topic of plan versus tables, right? If it's a table for the general group to roll on there might be some stuff that's better for certain people than others and then that comes down to the whole do you as the player maybe trade later on if they get a cool item is do you use this one mundane item in a really cool way like if it's like a for example like a bucket with a hole i know in one of my other campaigns i've done one of the players had this bucket with a hole and they used it to hide their face from like this wild creature and then later on, the creature ended up being a person, but that person had no idea what Buckethead looked like underneath. So that oh. other person, while they knew what that what the shape-shifting animal guy looked like, that shape-shifting animal guy had no idea what Buckethead looked like. Gotcha. Yeah. And so by like so having that hole in the bucket where they could see out of it, you know, like that was where it was like a, a cool character thing where they use this random mundane trinket of just finding a bucket with a hole in it. Yeah, in a cool way. The utility, yeah. The utility aspect, and that's what makes Pokemon D and D cool. Is you can use your Pokemon for utility in addition to normal items, but they're also your friends. You know? One of my favorite things to do, honestly. Really is. Can't wait to get a Vine Whip. You see in the anime, using Vine Whip for everything, making rope, making ladders, grabbing stuff. You know, Crabbing the cookies stuff. on the top shelf. Co oh, dude, the cookies on the top shelf for sure. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of Pokemon, right, and um, this is uh, another idea for homebrewing. There's a lot, there's different ways in Poke D D to choose your starters. There's a lot of different ways on how to choose them. Yeah. Um, you could do the traditional, if you want to just do the Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle, Eevee, Pikachu, that's fine. If you want to do that for your players, have that cool aspect, or starters of a region, you could do that, right? Absolutely. You, you could roll for specific types based on a list so yeah. if you lay out avatar all the types lock. right if you lay out like an avatar lock exactly you lay out all the types and you have them roll and say okay your guy can only catch poison and flying types or something so your starter so as dm you could suggest like three different mons that are either poison or flying etc and that could be a cool character concept where you can only catch flying or poison type mons you know yeah another Great role play tool yeah, it is, especially if you guys, like, I've I grown up in the water my whole life, and it's like I can only do water and grass or water and ground type mods, you yeah. know? I'm going to become this type gym leader. Boom. Like, like that's there your character. You like, your character could literally be, you want to be the gym leader or somebody important in the region that specializes in certain types and is known for that. And then that lets DM know, okay, on certain routes, I can try to sprinkle these in to help you later on if you find them, if it's a rolled or planned, you know? Absolutely. What so what, do you want to describe what we did for yeah this yeah we can get into that yeah so what we did was I took a list 
of 100 mons that could be your starter. And I had them all roll off camera and things for their three mons to choose from to be their starter. And then they base that around their backstories and whatnot. So, for example, give me three D100s, Ty, and I could tell you what your mons would be if you had to choose again. Okay. And I remember my options before, and they were, uh, they were good. Do you remember your options? All I remember is I, now Pepe. I, I do. Um, so it was Pepe the uh, Piplup. It was a Vulpix, which I was real close between the two. Um, and then <laughs> the third one was a Krogunk. So, oh, really? You know, uh, yeah, it's interesting a... stuff. And but, uh, the book does say, like, a trainer must begin with any single unevolved Pokemon of species rating SR, half or lower, with the base stats in a stat block. So. Yeah. So my rules were 24. Okay, so you got 24. Yep. Nummel. 89. 89, which was Snivy. And 58. And a 58 being an Eevee. So, those yeah. are three not too bad options. Right, exactly. And it, it's, again, that, that randomness, but you still kind of get the sense of, I chose this. And like I said, I, I took the list of SR8, SR half, SR quarter, put them all together, and cut out what I thought would be the best 100 options for my players. Right, and with this being a specific like a sea watery campaign, first things I tried to cut was like the Pokemon you could fish up, because obviously if it's like an ocean region, they're gonna run into water Pokemon more often than not, just right. exploring around. So with that aspect, I try my best to cut out water things you could fish up or encounter frequently. Like I feel like that these starters are more rare. And that's where you as a DM, depending on what your campaign's about, you could do that change. You know? Like, if it's like a deserty wasteland campaign you're doing, like, maybe like a, like a nuclear explosion went off, and these are people coming out of, like, a survival area, a lot of the Pokemon out might be poison or ground types that they'll see more dominantly than not. So you'll tend to not put Ekans or Geodude as, like, a starter option, because they might run into that more often than not, or a Cubone or something, right? Like we talked about earlier. Absolutely. So... Yeah, it Homebrew, again. Homebrew, yeah. And if there's players that are, like, on the fence about it, and they're just like, I really want to play this. Like, I, 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 it's my favorite mod I want to play with, you know? Then if that's your choice to let them do that, then you could let them choose their own from the list in the back of the book, right? Like, if that's what you want to do, that's okay. Because ultimately, if that helps them shape their backstory more to being able to have a Pokemon that they want to include, then I would say let them. You know, if that's what they want to do, and if you're okay with it as a DM, like the For book, sure. the book says, just let them pick. So it's up to whatever you're feeling. You know, do you want to let them pick? You could, or do you make your own custom list of 100 based on your campaign, or even if it's just a list of 20 to choose from. If it's just all the like starters from the regions put together. Yeah, think about what what would the professor of that region most likely have in his possession for these starting players you know just like professor oak he he had caught those three and caught a pikachu and was like here you go these are your that's choices yeah that's it yeah. <laughs> you know 
And in that way too, especially if it's a mon, and this is where it's kind of cool too, if it's, if you don't have them rolling like a hundred table, right? And if it's like a Bulbasaur, Charmander, Eevee, Pikachu lineup, those Pokemon, if you choose to do the table kind of adventure idea versus just the planned encounters, those could be towards the top end or rarer things to encounter on a route, right? Because in games, there's that small chance you can encounter a starter in a random route like in some For games sure. they have that like you can find other starters in the game it's just an incredibly hard thing to do if you want to base that in your world you could too if you want to make it so that they're those starters are like the equivalents of weedles and starlies you could do that too i guess what i'm trying to say is there's a lot of different ways in pokemon D to homebrew things absolutely and as long as your players are on board with you for doing it don't be afraid to suggest if you're a dm and you're like new don't be afraid to suggest ideas to your players and get feedback. Because ultimately, you play the role as God. Like, I've learned that so many times where I want to interact with my players and I want to tell them something that they missed. But I know I can't because I'm God. And it's up to the players to know as players, did we miss something? Like, what happened? What was important? You know? For sure. Take notes. Take notes. <laughs> and one of the last things we'll talk about for D&D... Um, Pokemon here, homebrew ideas for improvements. Example, if you have a region, you can homebrew your own race for people. Yes, we did do that. Like, Tyler, you're playing as an Ormian, a native person here in Ormia. If you want to go into some of the details of being an Ormian that I put on the list there. Absolutely, because it, it's just one of those key features that can really flesh out your character and especially with him with gregari being a swimmer it it really ties into him so the race uh this is the description um you grew up in the oceanic region and learned the ways of sailing off the coast from your experience of living by the sea and the numerous boats you've been on when it comes to sea travel no other race is better than you so it gives you a feature um the sense of travel your natural sense of adventure gives you plus two to nature and perception. So having those skill bonuses really come in handy. I know Gregari has used, I mean, everybody uses perception a lot, and you can agree to that, I'm sure. Oh, yes. That's one of, if not the most common role in D&D next to, like, persuasion. Persuasion and, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Um Another one, another feature is Boat Rider. You're proficient with sea vessels, so you can add proficiency bonus to checks made involving controlling sea vehicles. We're about to, at some point, going to be on a boat for the majority of this campaign, most likely. So I think that that, you know, might potentially be very handy. Um, and then uh, Inner Fisherman. This, this I know Gregory uses a lot with his family having um, been fishermen. Um, having grown up with fishing, when you attempt to catch anything you've reeled in from a fishing rod, you gain plus three to attempt to catch it. And it automatically starts him off with an old rod, two weedle, and a venonat piece of bait, which yes. is huge because that's a lot of money. Yes, and as you'll see more of this adventure, you'll learn more about the whole different baits, and you're kind of like, Weedle and Venonaut bait, what's that? You'll learn about like different things that I've at least homebrewed for this Pokemon region that I thought would be an awesome way 
for fishing, right? Is to like use different baits to attract different or more rare mons that are attracted to more delicate food. Well, not, and that can kind of be seen in the real world in a way, you know, like you use different bait when you go deep sea fishing versus fishing off like a beach, you know. Absolutely. Fly fishing versus, you know, other things. And that's where it adds a fun thing for players, right? Yeah, adds a little realism to it as well. And then there's like another link here that's provided that I will also put in the link down below to um, Pokemon player races, right? And this is something that we saw that other players are in our campaign. Uh, like there's Alolan, there's Hoenian, yeah, uh, Johto Jin, right? Like um, I think Katie's character is um, Johto, Johto Jin, you know, by doing practice ceremonies and things. Um, yeah, the Kantoian is another one. Sinoian. So they base them off like the games, right? So if your region has its own type of people, that could be something you could dabble into homebrewing. And I know like, this is like a lot of stuff and you're like, oh, this is a lot of stuff he's telling me. And of course, these are just ideas. You know, you could use all of them. You could use none of them. You could use some of them. Any way to help make your play style better or for you and for the players to come over after, you know, to be able to help spread the word of how good D&D is and fun for people to play. Yeah, and the thing I love about D&D is that whenever each time you play, it is never the same thing. Yep. Never the same situation, never the same outcome. And homebrew is just another way of many to supplement that. And I can say I have DM'd, I've made a story that I've had people be playing now for well over a year that I've done with two groups of people. The same exact story, just as me as DM to see how they handle things differently. And I could tell you it is crazy how things are handled differently in two different groups. You know, one group might be stealthy about going in an approach and another group might go in guns a-blazing. And while that might alter the story in some way... I as DM get to see and react to different ways of how I'm telling my story. So if one group doesn't do something and I'm like, oh, that's that's crazy, you know, I can then alter that or tweak it a little bit for the other group. And by having the option of being able to have two different groups playing the same adventure, quote unquote, that I've homebrewed, I can adjust things for future if I want to reuse that. Like I have this one one shot that I use all the time for players that I've introduced new people to D&D with and I've had veterans play. That one one shot where I just changed the creatures in it, you know? And that's what makes it seem to be great because it's like, yes, it's the same story, but you can alter it and twist it. So it's never, like, it's the same quote-unquote story, but it's not going to be the same story, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I think that about wraps up this DM direction. Of, yeah, of going into just homebrew advice and tips and things. And if you guys in the comments, have suggestions on how that you've homebrewed different things for players. We'd love to hear from you down below if you want to comment or go on the Discord and let us know of different ideas that you've heard of, thought of, done with your playgroup. That if even if you want to ask us, hey, you think this idea is good or you think that's too crazy, to let us know. And we could, we have some good experience under our belts for having played this now for quite a few years. So. We could let you know if that idea sounds like a good thing or if that's crazy or even how to alter it to make it even better, you know? Yeah, let us know your experiences, your your ideas, because we might even use some of them. That's and, true. You know, that's what, we've, that's what we'll have polls for. That's what we'll have Q&A for. 
Want to hear your feedback. With that, remember, DM told me to never be afraid to homebrew things.